Real NBA, Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and me, Michael Kimball. We're in week three. We're continuing with some interesting surprises and disappointments right off the top. We have uh, tonight, actually, right about now, Carmelo Anthony is going to be playing his first game for the Portland Trailblazers. Will he fit? Will he be a liability? What do we see happening with this situation? Yeah, so um, jumping right into the fantasy uh, portion of the pod, I picked up Carmelo as a sort of speculative speculative ad um, in our fantasy league. That's a nine-cat Yahoo head-to-head league. And the reason why I did that is because um, Carmelo Anthony obviously has extreme pedigree. He's a Hall of Famer when he retires. Um, the last time he was a competent player in OKC, I believe he averaged about – um it was 16.2 points um so that's pretty solid uh if you're getting that off the waiver wire so um yeah I was just kind of thinking he's gonna walk into 20 minutes a game uh the the Portland Trailblazers have zero power forwards on their roster basically they've been starting Nazir Little who is a rookie um at a tough position Zach Collins is injured Hassan Whiteside is a five, but he's not necessarily playing the best either. So um, speculative ad, keep your eye on him. If you have a better constructed team than I do, you probably don't <laughs> need to jump on him so quickly. Um, and you can wait and see after a couple of games and see if he pans out. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing Carmelo play in the league again. I'm hoping that he's successful for the sake of my fantasy team and for the sake of storylines and public interest. And I think there is some reason to be optimistic about it because um, he never wanted to go to the the Blazers before because they're in a small market Um, or and I think for various other reasons. But now he's sacrificed. Now he's decided to go there. Um, Yeah. Willingly for the first time, he's saying, I will be the four. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he's deciding to play the four. So I think I feel like it's it demonstrates a shift in perspective, a shift in. Uh, focus and commitment and uh, willingness to sacrifice for the sake of extending his career. It's one of the things I've been reading is that he has had a mind shift. And um, that is one of the things. Um, so one of the big issues was him taking long twos. Apparently he's committed to no more long twos and just taking threes. And the other piece where he was a liability in OKC was his defense. And apparently he's in much better shape, much quicker feet. Um, can Carmelo play defense? He hasn't been in the league in a year. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's tough to see him being like an impact player on defense at this point in his career, given his age and the mileage he has. But I mean, I think all you can do is control what you can control, sure. right? So he lost the weight. Uh, he's been working out. Hopefully he's made an effort to improve his quickness, improve his lateral quickness, uh, and be able to stay in front of guys on switches. Uh, the Blazers as a team are not very good on defense this year. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, he's he's kind of walking into a situation where he's not going to be helped along by, like, amazing defenders surrounding him. And so I, I would imagine that the Blazers front office is thinking, well, we're bad on defense, and we don't have the personnel to be great on defense, especially if Hassan Whiteside is our center and even in this drop coverage that you would think he would excel in he's not he's not taking us over the edge defensively um why not why not try to outscore people right Dame and CJ are getting double teamed and trapped in the second half of games and they're struggling um Dame is out tonight with back spasms I think he played 39 minutes 
he's like leading the league in minutes played or somewhere around the top so far this year. So uh, the thinking is pretty obvious. We need someone with pedigree. We need someone who can come in and score some points and take some of the pressure off CJ um, and Dame. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic. And there's also all the reasons to not be optimistic, which were the same reasons why Carmelo was out of the league to start the season. Right. Carmelo's a good fit for Jalen's fantasy team. And Carmelo's also a good fit for the build of the actual Portland Trailblazers right now. A lot of offense, some bad defense. Kyle, do you want to add to that? Any of the yeah, Carmelo. Maybe. I don't know if we want to be thinking about NBA teams the same way we think about fantasy teams in terms of, like, I say, say punting certain categories, like your entire they're defense. Definitely, <laughs> they're punting defense, though. Like, that, that they, they're conceding defense. That's part of this move. I don't think we could ignore I'm a that. little concerned, too, that <laughs> his role on defense, I mean, his role on offense cuts into what they do best. Um, it still remains to be seen what kind of passer he'll, he'll be in, in a moving offense and whether he's going to be a ball stopper. and He's committed and, to passing, apparently. And go back into his ISO ways. Um, I'm here for it. I'm here to watch it. Um, I'd love I'm, to see it. I'm rooting for him to go out on a better note than what he did in Houston. I'm skeptical Definitely. that he's going to be the piece that gets the Blazers into the playoffs considering that they're all the way back in 12th right now which isn't too much i mean 12th only puts you what would it be um you know it's like three games back from the timberwolves for the the final playoff spot there and it's very early in the season but, but already feeling a little desperate. But it does seem that the move is desperate. Um, and we're actually far more than three weeks in the season right now. We're five weeks into the season. Sounds and, good. It's been a blur. And It's been a blur. And, <laughs> and enough of a blur that the Blazers felt that they had to go out and make um, a big move. And bringing in a name like Carmelo Anthony is a big move. Um, yeah. Let's so see it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I want to jump in because, A, the Blazers are 21st, 21st in defensive rating this year um, at 110.4 defensive rating. Um, so their defense isn't very good. And I think in fairness to Carmelo, I think a lot of the discussion in in the media, in on ESPN, on all of their various shows and things has been Carmelo's unwillingness to pass the ball, his unwillingness to get off the block, and his unwillingness to move outside of his jab-steppy, ball-stopping game. And I think that's sort of been overblown, and I think what's been underplayed was just how bad he was on defense. So the, the last time he was able to play like in 60-plus games was in OKC, um, and he played his role... Um, that they he played the role that they wanted him to play on offense as a spot up shooter. He just didn't shoot very well. So I think um, he's he's been more willing to accept the role of a spot up shooter than I think he's been given credit for. But his defense has just been it's just been so atrocious that he couldn't sustain on those teams. You know, I think the the story um, in OKC was that once Roberson got hurt, there were less people to cover up his defensive issues uh because you also have to cover up the defensive issues of one russell westbrook as the uh <laughs> right. houston rockets are finding out so um yeah so I, I think i think given the state of the portland trailblazers defense it's almost like you can't really you, you can't blame carmelo anthony for being the problem of your defense because they're already 21st <laughs> right. in defense so he's right he's probably not gonna help but 
clearly they're so desperate that they need him, right? So, and and I think also in terms of like him taking away from what the other players are doing, Dame and CJ are gonna need to rest at some point. They they need to not be playing so many minutes. Dame has been extremely healthy his entire career, but going at this rate is a good way to end that streak of good health. Um, so even even in the in in the second unit, you know, if he does decide to go do his jab steppy um bank shot you know fall away game um in the elbow extended area it wouldn't be the worst thing on this sort of team i mean they're basically their only other reliable scoring options in the second unit are anthony simons um and one of the two starters cj or dame playing with the backups yeah um okay so we have carmelo back um another player we have back this week um last week uh paul george the Clippers. He had 33 points in a loss in his first game back, but he looked you like... You can do that with bionic shoulders. He loves his new shoulders. He, does. he says he has new shoulders. I say bionic. And he looked good even in the loss. Um, any thoughts on that there? We haven't seen him um, with Kawhi that much or any. Um uh, so I don't know if we really know what the Clippers look like yet, but I'm happy to have Paul George back playing basketball. Yeah. Um, as someone who doesn't have new bionic shoulders and has <laughs> suffered from a shoulder injury, I'm very jealous. Um, I'm, I'm nervous for a player like Anthony Davis, who seemed to have tweaked his shoulder earlier in the season and is kind of continuously dealing with it because uh, I know how those Visibly things go. wincing. Yeah, I was watching the game. I don't remember which game it was, but I was watching the game where he did it, and the, the angle at which he got hung on the rim on his dunka tip was, like, parallel. So it was almost like if you're diving in, in basketball or something and your shoulder has a chance to, like, pop out or lodge right. or move in the socket. So... I'm a bit nervous for him. It seems like PG's doing fine, and he's knocking down basically all his shots. I mean, I think in his first two games, he was averaging like 50 points per 48 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he'll come off of that pace, but I think the, the Clippers are in good hands. All right, one other um, recent thing I saw, and this relates to the Clippers a little bit, and that's my transition for it. Um, somebody just put out a map of the United States, and it is a most hated NBA team map. Um, it was interesting to see, uh, and, and this was um, it was interesting to see because the most hated team throughout America is the Los Angeles Lakers. I was a little historical accumulated hate. It, it was a little surprising given that LeBron is there and there are plenty of NBA fans who are going to root for whatever team LeBron is on. Why all the hate for the LA? I think they also root against, there are diehard LeBron haters sure. who will hate him wherever sure. he goes. I like to root against players too. Uh, my new player to root against is Kawhi. Um, Not Paul George, just Kawhi. I mean, he'll get roped in at some point, but for right now, it's, it's just Kawhi. He's a he's won a couple championships. He's on my radar. Um, he seems poised to get another one. I'd like to see someone stop him. 
But so no other players on the Clippers by association. It's really just it'll grow on me. Okay, yeah, it'll I think it'll. I think it'll somewhere, stretch somewhere, out soon. It'll yeah. be Lou Williams somewhere deep down the line. It'll be <laughs> Zubats, but um, yeah. that's deep down the line. So the Lakers are the most hated. I was surprised to see that the Golden State Warriors are still one of the most hated teams, especially in the Midwest. Yeah, also, what are they sadists? Those, those I mean, I think it's a Cleveland effect to some extent. Um, but they're hated in Georgia too. Why are they hated in Georgia? I, I have no idea. Those wounds Do they run have deep. Something I guess. against peaches. <laughs> Maybe I, I, I got nothing. Maybe so that that was one of the other surprises there. And then there are a couple other little surprises in the most hated map. And one was the Clippers. The Clippers are the most hated team in California, their home state, Arizona, and New Mexico. And then the Rockets are the most hated team in Utah and Oklahoma. Um, and I think that's a player based. Uh, hatred uh, that fits in with your kind of hatred, Kyle. Well, it's also because Utah just lost to the Rockets. Yeah, it's 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 James Harden in hate. It's recent it data. It's mm-hmm. recent geotagged Twitter data. So that's where this is coming from. Vaguely scientific, not the most scientific, but sort of interesting the way it's played out. Yeah, it's definitely James Harden hate because James Harden has eliminated the Jazz from the playoffs in a couple of recent playoff yeah. series and he obviously and the, left in the jazz did not look good in, in it i'm sure that there's some scarring in the fan base from and it. the rockets now have two of oklahoma city's core three mm-hmm. like that that has to generate are they gonna get some. kd like five years from now and they're all gonna be playing together <laughs> in their sort of old age it's good they're gonna play in the big three in 10 years and take it down that's what's gonna happen <laughs> that's gonna be their only championship oh no oh no you just cursed them they're only winning a championship in the big three wow yeah. you heard it here folks. You yeah. heard it here that's first, a hot folks. hot take that just popped into my head so i had to say it there it is um another interesting uh take um not essentially a take from the Clippers. Uh, last week we were watching the game and we saw Austin Rivers goading his father on the sidelines, trying to get the refs to tee up his father, Doc Rivers, which they did. And one of the, the most um, interesting father-son relationships in the NBA, any thoughts on Austin Rivers gleefully egging his father on and the refs on to throw his father out of the game. And the tweet after the game was golden. Do you, do you remember the it's, – It's something along the lines of Thanksgiving's going to be awkward this year. Yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting that you bring this up. I wrote a piece for Razzball. It was titled NBA News and Nightmares where I concocted these very specific nightmares for teams and players. Um, and Doc Rivers, you know – Great coach, um, winner, but, you know, he hasn't had it easy when it's come to point guards. You know, he had Rondo, he had Chris Paul, both who are genius-level players, genius-level passers on the court, but both who are also a bit moody um, and grating in some ways. Um, And now he just got, you know, he just got egged on by his son. His son was making all sorts of T-motions and sending him out of the game, and he just had to deal with that as he he's trying to coach a basketball game. He's trying to do his uh, minor league baseball stand-up-for-my-team routine, um, and his son is just living it up and taking it all in. And as I wrote in my piece, um, Austin Rivers celebrated that, that occurrence like someone who's had to live their entire life in the shadow of a more famous family member. So 
Good for Austin Rivers. All right, sticking with the West, uh, I have another little tidbit that um, Jalen called out to me, and I, I looked up and I went and looked at all of the data on this because somebody did a real experiment, a correlational experiment on James Harden and how well he plays in relation to how good the strip clubs are in that particular city. Turns out there are five places where James Harden does not play as well, and they are Miami, Chicago, Salt Lake City, LA, and New Orleans, where, by another measure, there are the best strip clubs in America. Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. In the land of the Mormons. Would have never known. It's a reaction to it, I suppose. So I think maybe like the only issue with the study was that I think it used strictly Google reviews to create the rankings of the strip clubs. Okay. And I think the reason that Salt Lake City had such a high ranking is because people were like, there's only three strip clubs in Salt Lake City. So like obviously the top ones are going to factor more into the sure. calculation of the Google reviews. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that, that that's where that comes from. Yeah, that um, it, it, it was an odd uh, fifth team to have in there. Um, but for those of you more interested in the, the data um, or the results of this study, it had a correlation coefficient of 0.46, which for you who are into correlation coefficients is a medium to strong correlation. What that means, though, is we can't say there's a causation. When James Harden goes to a strip club, he plays more poorly. We can't say that. What we can say is there is a correlation here, and when he does play in these cities, whether he goes to the strip club or not, we don't know. He doesn't play quite as well. It accounts for about 20% of his stat line. Yeah, we can say that this study sort of came, this study came out after the Rockets lost by like 35 in Miami. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and and uh, just one last item to further support the silliness of this. James Harden has had his jersey retired in a strip club in Houston. <laughs> So, how long do you think the author held on to that piece, waiting for like a big blowout loss like that to then drop it? <laughs> yeah, That's I think he did question. it in the off season. And was sitting there waiting, just I, I waiting. Um, okay. Um, I mean, before we before we yeah. jump off <laughs> off um, James Harden, because I don't want Rockets Twitter coming at us uh, forever. <laughs> And saying that all we said about James Harden was that know, he likes. The traffic might not be bad. <laughs> was that he likes strip clubs? I mean, he is. I think a, he is averaging thirty nine points a game right now, and um, he he scored thirty six points last night, and his scoring average went down. Um, right. He could potentially average forty points a game this year. He's doing insane things. I think he's foul baiting a tiny bit less, even though he's drawing more fouls somehow. So, I mean, he's a savant at what he does, and I think. The longer he does it, more people are going to transfer um, and change their opinion on him and just start to appreciate it. I hope I feel I find myself falling into that category. So I don't know. What do you yeah. all think about I that? I actually had it in my notes about his shooting, averaging 39 points a game on terrible percentages. Yeah. Like if he just got back to some, you know, okay percentages, he'd easily be averaging over 40 points a game. And no player has done it in the NBA since Wilt. So, like, this could be historic if his numbers regress or progress, rather, to the mean. Like, he's, he's underperforming right now. I don't think that's going to keep happening. Yeah, I think, I think maybe, like, the last five games he's been better. Uh, but, yeah, before that, he was shooting, like, 
from twenty three percent, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, right. on three. Um, okay, so um, sticking with the West, uh, one of the other things we want to talk about is LeBron and the Lakers. LeBron, after that first game, has looked pretty great. He, um, among other things, among his very full stat line this season, he's putting up 11.2 assists a game. Kyle, LeBron's a favorite. What are you seeing? You know, I think everybody saw him. When there was talk earlier in the preseason of LeBron coming in as the Lakers point guard, I think there was widespread prediction that he would lead the league in assists. This is pretty high. Um, this is even higher than I expected at this point in the season. Um, LeBron's doing great. Uh, he is currently seventh in nine-cat leagues, um, averaging, as you said, um, 11.2 assists, 7.6 rebounds, and 25 points. Um, the, the 25 points is higher than I expected it would be. Um, I, yeah. I thought he might fall down into the 23-point range. Um, he, um, in terms of fantasy stats, he's still putting up good steal numbers at 1.2 um, and pretty decent block numbers um, at 0.6, although not as good as you know, he historically has. 0.6 is average for an average fantasy player. And so he, he just doesn't hurt you. Yeah, there. he doesn't hurt you anywhere. Well, free throw percentage, possibly, but... In turnovers, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the other, besides LeBron looking great on offense, um, his defensive numbers have been really good. Two weeks ago, his defensive rating was just over 95. Last week, it was just over 98. Now it's sitting at uh, 100.1, I think it is. Um, the interesting thing to me, all three of those numbers, even the 100.1, is his, they are his best defensive rating since 2011. Is this a rejuvenated LeBron? Is it L.A. Lakers scheme? Something else? I mean, I'll, I'm interested to hear what you all think. Um, this is obviously a shift to his relevance on the court rather than his fantasy relevance. Right. And, you know, we could just note, first of all, they do, as of recording, lead the league um, in, in defense. record. In, in their, oh, oh and they're, they're second in defense right now, I think. No, they're, no, they just they're moved first. Up. They're, oh, they moved up. They're 9.8 yeah, the defensive rating. Okay. So they, they're back up. They were at the very beginning of the season first, and they dropped down uh, to second, and now they are again first in defensive rating. But they're first in overall record at 11-2, and two, right. um, sharing that with uh, the Boston Celtics. Um, talk about some old <laughs> rivalries. It's um, the early 80s again. Yeah, all over <laughs> again. Um, I don't think the Celtics' prospects are nearly as, as – bright as what the Lakers are right now. But but their defense has also looked kind of incredible with some missing pieces in places. Their five's a mess, but they're still playing great team great team defense. Yeah. And so but with the Lakers with their defense, I do think that it's largely that um, he's playing with some more energy this year. Um, Definitely. You wonder also just looking at the way that he's moving, if he had more um, going on than the uh, – what was the injury that he suffered on Christmas Day? It was a Day? Groin. groin. It was a groin, right. Yeah. That, that, Which, if he had more going on than the groin or if it was just um, – 
I think that groin injury took a while to recover from, and that really hindered his lateral movement. He looks a lot better laterally this year than he did. It could affect your overall fitness too. Absolutely, if you have a groin injury, yeah, you're limited in what you can do. Yeah, I think my read on it, and by my read, I mean Brian Windhorst reporting, was that (laughs) um, he wasn't fully healthy once he did come back, and so he was still not moving at full capacity, not operating at full capacity. Um, And I think, as you said, Kyle, I think there was a situation, it was a situation where he had maybe put on a few pounds or just was not in the best physical condition, was not in top form. And obviously with you know, the most time he's ever had to recover since, I don't know, his third year or this second year right. in the league. Since yeah. he was 19. Uh, I think what I was trying yeah, to get at was 20. I thought the speed and energy is even different from the beginning of the season last year before the injury. Yeah. There's yeah. something different about the way that he's playing and that the Lakers play in general. I mean, um, they're actually not as fast a team as what they were last year. They were trying to really run last year, um, but they feel – there's a more diff- dynamic and and um, there's a different a defensive iten- intensity within that slightly slower pace. And one of the things that might be figuring in here, um, in last Tuesday's clip, last Tuesday's Clippers Lakers game, some production assistant threw this up on the screen when we were sitting there watching it. Six all defensive players are on the Los Angeles Lakers. Six former all defensive players are on the Los Angeles Lakers. I think it's helping everybody's defensive rating. Like they, these are these are veteran guys who all know where to be on D, and I think that's showing up here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think all all of that is true. Um, they added AD. You know, I don't I don't think we can take that for granted. AD He's pretty good is, on D. Yeah, AD is an <laughs> All NBA level defender, shot blocker. Um, he can run, he can get out and run, he can contest shots in transition. And I think we, you know, Dwight Howard gets a lot of flack in the media, on the internet. We have to give him some props for playing great defense so far this yeah. year. Um, and not only just protecting the rim, which he's doing extremely extremely well, um, he's offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding, and the defensive rebound is the last uh, step of your defense, so the possession isn't over until you get the rebound, so he's helping in that way. But he's also doing a pretty good job, you know, handling switches and moving around on the perimeter. He's been moving his feet extremely well. He looks light on his feet. Um, he's playing with energy. He's still doing goofy things, but they're all helping the Lakers win games, so I don't think anyone can complain about that. Um, and I think ultimately, like, we've seen this with the Spurs where the Spurs play uh, two bigs or uh, they keep a big on the floor at almost all times, and the Lakers are kind of doing the same thing where they're playing a big uh, at almost, you know, for every minute of the game. And, you know, all of us here on this podcast and in basically every other pa- podcast in the NBA ether have been saying put AD at the five, and yet they haven't really been doing it that much, and they've been perfectly fine. And I think part of the reason why is because every time you do puncture the defense and get to the rim, well, well, JaVale McGee is there or Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis or two of the three at once. So, I mean, it's pretty tough to score inside, and that's the most efficient place to score. Or Anthony Davis or LeBron can come from behind. Yeah. Or Danny Green is cheating off or – I mean, mean, there are a bunch of good defenders here. One of the other keys of the defense, I think, is Avery Bradley until he got hurt – was playing some great on-ball defense with the point guard. It doesn't show up so much in the stats, so he was getting a little over a steal a game. But I think that was a key to the defense, too, is having that piece that was kind of missing right at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and maybe here's a transition point to uh, shift back into fantasy-relevant 
conversation and sort of um, prospects and player analysis. So Kimba Walker is now on the Boston Celtics, and you just mentioned Avery Bradley getting hurt when Marcus Smart also just got injured. So I was wondering, like, what does that do to both of these teams' defense? Because on-ball defense, you know, it can prevent the team from getting into their offense. You don't get a statistic, but if you're getting to your offense with just 10 seconds left on the clock, that's going to harm your efficiency. Every team, every player shoots worse when they're up against a shot clock. So I want to know how that's going to affect their these teams' defense, but also um, Kimba Walker is in Boston, and and um, Russell Westbrook is in Houston now. And I I don't know what Westbrook's steal numbers have been. He's always been a gambler, but it it feels like he's getting more steals. It feels like he's having more of of a statistical impact on defense, not a real impact on defense. He's still. He still doesn't watch the ball. He still gets lost off the ball. He's still chasing steals too much. He's still doing all the bad things that are going to hurt you in the playoffs. But because he plays with James Harden, he doesn't have to expend so much energy on offense. There's someone else to take the load. So now he has more energy to run around and chase for those steals. And because he is smart and good at anticipating, he's getting a fair amount of the steals he's chasing for. And I feel like it's the same thing with Kimba. I don't know what his numbers are, but if you just watch him play, I watched him play the Kings the other night. He's flying around. He's diving on loose balls. He's taking charges. It's very clear that he feels like, okay, I've got talented players around me who can carry some of the scoring load. I can put in more energy into defense, and that can be something that helps us helps us win, even if I don't average 30 a game or something. Yeah, it's interesting. The Celtics got back to that really tenacious D where it's just a bunch of guys getting after it in their role, but also as a team defense. And it's been kind of incredible to see. Um, is it I mean, an indictment on Kyrie Irving? I mean, well, I, th- I mean, they gave up so that. much talent, and they're so good just getting back to the team's ethos. You know, they're 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 playing the way the Celtics under this coach play, and last year was a mess without it. We, you know, the Nets, one of my favorite teams, they've been not so great with Kyrie leading. Um, they've been worse without him. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure there's an answer there, but it is definitely, I think, an indictment of Kyrie and what happened in Boston last season. Yeah. To, to close out with on the Lakers, they're gonna, so the Lakers and Clippers are going to face off again Christmas Day. If you had to put a bet right now, is it going to turn out the same way the first game did? This one's going to have the different parquet from the last one. We're going to have the Lakers parquet for the second matchup. Not that it's really going to matter. I think the Do you, the do you give a point edge for court? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how the Vegas odd makers odds makers do that. It's a Lakers it's a Lakers home game, right. yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean, I would I would say the Lakers will win just because they lost the first game and LeBron just doesn't usually lose to the top players in the league. I mean, he beat Kobe all the time when they were both in their primes. He beat KD all the time when KD was in OKC. Um, he usually beat D Wade also when they were in their prime. So I mean, just, just to remind, he, them. yeah, yeah, he he he's really like, <laughs> oh, just just so you know, I'm still the best player in the league. So I mean, I guess that's what I would say. I'm taking the Clippers. I love the top end talent, and I love all of that depth in the second unit. It'll be really telling if the Clippers win this for exactly the reasons that you're mentioning, Jalen, because LeBron James does not like to lose to other top players, and he doesn't like to lose even to 
teams like the Hawks back in the day that didn't have like a star player, but that were the ascendant, you know, best record in the league team. He didn't want to lose to them either. Yeah. I mean, Nathaniel Friedman, uh, Free Darko, uh, was tweeting that LeBron was just jacking up deep threes because he was playing against Trey Young the other night and he was making them. So it was working. So LeBron definitely kind of. You know, every great player, they do these various things to get themselves motivated, and I feel like LeBron definitely does that. Right. Um, Anything you can do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we have one more team in the West to talk about, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they have a really interesting player case this year, uh, I think, Andrew Wiggins. He, for years, um, has been trashed about never, for never quite realizing his promise. This year, he has been great until he just got hurt. Um, Jalen, what do you think of Andrew Wiggins? He's on your fantasy team. He's been putting up great stat lines for you. Is this the year he finally rises and takes and fulfills his promise? Yes. So I'll say say yes. Um, I'll say I feel like he's – you know, it's so early in the season, but I think there's enough evidence to suggest that he's an improved player. Um, but before before we get into that, I can say why I took him in the draft. You know, I didn't draft well, I'll say that up front. But the thinking, I think, the process behind drafting Andrew Wiggins uh, was sound, I think. He's, he's a player who um, has major pedigree, was a top draft pick, is super athletic, and just has constantly underperformed in various ways. Um, you know, he, there was a whole fiasco with Jimmy Butler, the whole fiasco with Tom with Tom Thibodeau. Um, so, you know, he's just been kind of buried, you know, under this weight and this pressure, this, you know, this mass of water that was all these different, you know, off-court off and sort of relationship-based sorts of things in the organization, and all of that was gone. So I just yeah. assumed if he was ever going to take a step forward, it would be this year, right? He has a good relationship with Ryan Saunders, a new coach, Um, And I think that relationship has allowed him to buy into what Ryan Saunders is asking him to do, which is mainly um, stop shooting long twos, stop shooting long twos off the dribble, uh, take a step back and shoot a three, shoot more catch and shoots, attack the rim more. And he's doing all of those things. And that improved shot profile is increasing his efficiency. Um, Bet you take better shots. You're a skilled player. You're going to have better efficiency. Um, and I think the the assist totals might come down because obviously he was getting a lot of these assists, these six seven assist games with uh, Jeff Teague injured and Shabazz Napier injured. Right. So uh, there's a fair chance that the assist numbers come down. But I think overall he's a better player. I think his ball handling skills are improved. I think his shot profile is improved. Um, I think his decision making is improved slightly. So I think he's a better player. He's going to continue to be a better player. And Towns is a monster, so I, I don't see Towns slowing down. So that should continue to take pressure off of him. Um, and he's been a bit of a closer, which is like a weird thing to, um, you know, get a handle on analytically. How much does the, how much is the hot hand real? How much is clutch statistics real? Right. Yada yada yada. But he's been great in the clutch. I don't know if I expect that to continue, but that's certainly a positive sign uh, for someone who hasn't been that in their career. Definitely. I love that he seems to be bringing that closer mindset to his game, not just those closing moments, but other times as well. And um, the the assists are a curious stat. They're up um, 
up like 40% over his usual numbers. He was averaging 3.6 assists before he got hurt. Um, and one of the things that people have talked about is he's passing more willingly and simply better, that he's a better passer than he was last year. One other point place he's improved his stat line, uh, he has fewer turnovers. He has about a third fewer turnovers, and his, re- his rebounding numbers have also bounced up a little bit. So we're seeing a fuller stat line in general from Wiggins. Um, it, it seems as if there's a lot of promise there. I do have some worry um, because I went back and I looked at his stats, and in 2016, he did something similar. He put up a very similar stat line to what he's putting up through 11 games this season. He ended up finishing that season down quite a bit from that. He, he went from being a top 30 fantasy player, say, to like 120, 140, somewhere in that range by the end of the season. That was 2016. Um Hopefully that doesn't happen this year. I would love to see him finally make it and shut up everybody who's ever talked crap about him. Yeah. um, He's a tough one to gauge. I don't know how real this is. The, The numbers early are striking. I mean, it makes me regret not drafting him. Um his injury recently has opened up more time for Jarrett Culver, who's a player that I've been interested in um, for odd reasons, simply having to do with drafting him in a fantasy basketball draft, which then turns him into a player of interest and means I watch a lot of Timberwolves games. <laughs> and on, and, out of the and he's a potential keeper for you, which makes him a very valuable piece. Sure. Jarrett Culver. And so um, you will think more about those pieces than you might other pieces. And I, I, I know you have a lot of decision points uh, on your fantasy team and for different fantasy players. Uh, you've picked up a few different young guys this year. Um, some you still have, some you don't. Uh, uh, Culver, um, you had DeAndre Hunter for a bit. You had Fernando for a bit. You had Kobe White for a bit. Um, I'm missing somebody. Oh, you drafted P.J. Washington, which, yeah. which seemed like a genius move now. It looks pretty great. Um, any thoughts on those decision points with them? Why have you kept Culver while letting, say, Kobe White go with some great scoring games, some great three-point shooting? Fernando, I understand, hasn't quite shown up yet. Still might He's just get not there. In the minutes right now. Yeah. Um, do Do you want to talk about those uh, decision points in terms of fantasy and keepers? I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been really interested recently in regret. Like reg- regret <laughs> in general, or just in fantasy basketball? In 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 fantasy basketball, I guess in general, uh, regret's an interesting thing. I don't feel a lot of it in my life these days. It's a it's a peculiar. That's thing. good. It's like in a digitally you know networked world where everything seems to be backed up everywhere. Things just don't really disappear anymore in the way that like make you regret something. Everything seems sort of replaceable, right? Um, and so the places where it does pop up are interesting to me. And I have some regrets. Um, I remember a moment a couple of years ago where I told one of my buddies in the fantasy league to go out and get Donovan Mitchell. Um, it was in part because I didn't want some other team to get Donovan Mitchell at the time. I knew he was coming on, um, and it was a buddy having a hard time, and or it was, he had a terrible oh, draft was or something, too, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was part of it. Yeah, he had a, a 
he had actually sort of tragic time at, at that moment with the death of a family member. Um, the kindness of the commissioner. That's the what the kindness is. of the commissioner. But um, but uh, I I did. I, I've thought about it many times, and and especially because of my lack of depth in the shooting guard um, at the shooting guard position, and um, and I've been trying to fill that ever since. Um, and um, and so you know you, you think about there are these moments of regret that could potentially happen anytime that you have to drop a player to pick up some other player. And those considerations feel very weighty when they're happening. And um, there was one moment earlier in the season when I had both Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter, and I had to make a decision of who to keep. Part of it may have been that, um, you know, I had a sort of bias um, toward Culver because I had drafted him. Um, but draft bias is real. Draft bias is real. Um, I do think that there was a deeper thing going on from it too. I mean, part of the part of it was the eye test. I'd watched both players quite a bit, and um, DeAndre Hunter is getting a lot of minutes. Um, he has seemed to me to, to be um, almost a little lost on the court at times, or or inactive and not not engaged in the play. Um, I mean, that's pretty normal for rookies, though. Um, I can't say that that's necessarily why I would have been turning away from him um he is still finding his way though and it is obvious in 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 every game i mean we see it with a bunch of the hawks i mean him fernando um reddish uh you know on and on but well culver definitely is too culver is far lower ranked right now than deandre hunter um i think they're both in the 300s though um culver is 368 hunter is 273 on yahoo yeah so and I chose to keep Culver, um, as odd as that is. And probably my real regret is going to be not keeping Kobe White. Um, you know, he was he was the highest scoring player in North Carolina high school basketball history. And I had that stat in my head all the time when I had him. <laughs> and I said, don't drop him. Don't don't succumb to the early season fluctuations. Don't drop him. Just wait it out. Just wait it out. And then I had five INJ players, and I had to start making some decisions. And so I dropped him. And uh, he might be gone now. Oh, he's definitely gone. He, be, he may be gone for good. Yeah, I, I think. I think Chris. Four is, years from now, you might see him again. Yeah, I think Chris is gonna keep him. I don't know. That would that would presume that he would be worth fifteen dollars in three years, probably. I mean, he could be. He could be at the end of this season, given that yeah. point guard rotation in Chicago and how bad it's been. I mean, yeah. He's going to need to get some complimentary stats for that to play out. But of course. Sure. I feel like it doesn't <laughs> It doesn't bode well for you that Chris, Chris Shannon, a friend of the pod, is the one who picked him up because Chris is tanking. So he has uh, – he doesn't have as much reason value. to drop him. We've been tr- as trying very hard have. as a league and I myself as a commissioner to make sure that he's not actually tanking. He is doing quite well. I don't think it's working. He's he's definitely tanking. He's <laughs> he's tanking and doing well in spite of his tanking. And it, it, it's kind of insane. But one of the reasons he's doing well is Bam. He got Bam. He traded away Cat for Bam as part of a six-player trade. And the guys he got back are putting up better numbers than the more valued guys he gave up. It's It's shouldn't be that way but that is what's happening this week yeah I mean I'm in a similar boat he's doing better than uh than I did I struggled the first week I feel like that really set me back 
really the first two weeks. Uh, but yeah, I picked up Michael Porter Jr., who is almost the exact opposite of what you were saying, Kyle. Um, he doesn't really look great to me with the eye test. I mean, he looks kind of stiff. I don't know if he's still having problems from his back surgeries, but he looks a little stiff. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of shake to his game, which is something that, as you all know, that I look for in, in a player. Uh, but he is tall. He's very tall. Um, he has long arms. His length really bothers people on defense, even though his feet aren't as quick. He's often able to recover and get back uh, and make a quality contest uh, just with his length. Um, and his size matters on the offensive glass. He gets some offensive rebounds, put back dunks, and he can shoot. I think he can shoot really well. But I'm kind of just like holding him through gritted teeth, hoping that Mike Malone will stop being a veteran coach in the NBA and, you know, despising rookies and not playing rookies and that uh, Michael Porter Jr. will get a chance to grow into the NBA game a bit sometime soon so that I'm not completely forfeiting weeks to hold on to him because that is probably what's going to start happening soon. I managed to win last week with him on the roster, but it might be dicey this week. That actually explains really well why I kept Culver over DeAndre Hunter. It has to do with it's about role right now, and he he actually has a more minimal role on the Timberwolves than DeAndre Hunter has on the Hawks, they, as in mainly he plays fewer minutes. Um, and when the Timberwolves are healthy, um, he will probably be in the low 20s, and DeAndre Hunter at right now seems like he's going to be in the low 30s um, yeah. for the whole season. He's, well, they have a lot of injuries, too. That's part of his high-minute number. I just think that he's also just their starting small forward. And they expect of the him, future. And they expect him to put in the minutes and, and the mileage and the learning. And, um, and the, the parts, I actually, th- when I'm watching Culver, I don't, I don't see him as being close right now, but what I see are flashes of the kind of player that I want in the um, on a on my fantasy team in particular, um, and they're little things. It's the point two blocks more than DeAndre Hunter. It's the point one steals more than DeAndre Hunter right now in raw numbers, even though he's getting fewer minutes. Right. Um, it's the fact that he's getting more assists. Part of that's been that with Teague and Shabazz Napier being out, he's played the starting point guard. But I don't think that his being the starting point guard is being a reason why he's getting increased assist numbers would be a reason to dock him. I think it actually shows that he's a player who can stay in the league and that years down has the, the trust li- of a coaching staff. Years down the line, what you're saying is Culver projects to have a fuller stat line than somebody like DeAndre Hunter. Culver's going to have more usage than Hunter. And in a couple of years, that's going to show up, hopefully, in a full way for Culver. Yeah, and we've talked before, I know, about point guards who are inefficient in their early, usually in their rookie season, sure. um, are, are more likely to improve than players who, who are you know, playing fewer minutes. Um, they're, they're more likely candidates for a breakout. Right. Um, and I think that there's something similar happening with Culver, except for not, he's not getting as many minutes, but he's getting valuable experience right now. And he is turning the ball over a fair amount to, you know, to do it. Um, 1.6 turnovers in his minimal minutes compared to the 1.5 turnovers 
in over 30 minutes for DeAndre Hunter, which is pretty good. 1.5 turnovers in over 30 yeah. minutes is um, – but, you know, he's yeah. doing that with low usage. But, I mean, I think I think what you're getting at is something that I think has been discussed before. I think Kevin Pelton has talked about it. And so the opportunity is key. So David Thorpe has – he calls it royal jelly, uh, referring to bees and this idea that you need sort of space and room to grow. You need The organization needs to give you the playing time to allow you to mess up, right? And so I think in a similar vein, Kevin Pelton has done some studies that show that uh, point guards, I think, as you're saying specifically, but I think players in general who are like rookies and have these massive turnover numbers tend to improve and be better than guys who don't have these massive turnover numbers, whether it's because of lack of opportunity in their organizations or because they're not creative. They're not taking chances. They're not taking risks with the ball. They're not exploring um, the bounds of their game. And so I think um, you know, I, I'm I'm not like insanely high on Culver. I haven't been watching him. I don't really have an opinion on him. I, I'm not well versed enough in his game to really have an opinion. But I think, again, I think the process that you're going that you're using to go about analyzing his game in comparison to Hunter and in general in comparison to other rookies and young players in search of keeper value um, is smart and sound. Can we do one more player comparison, Michael, that you and I might be talking about sort of crosswise here, considering that we each have one of them, which is the Robert Williams, Daniel Tice oh, question? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm really I was going to throw Bruce too. Brown at you, though, too, oh, as Bruce part Brown. of the Culver discussion. Another guy who's playing out of position at point guard and sort of showed a full line. He looked good for a few games. A couple of guys came back. Derek Rose came back, and I think Frazier came back, and then he was immediately shuttled to very few minutes and no longer in that role, even though he looked good for a few games. Any thoughts on that in relation to the keeper value, young player filling out a line, et I will say the one reason why I've held Jarrett Culver and not picked up um, Bruce Brown was because it's partially just – Physical attributes. He's sure. he's a he's a tall, yeah. you know, yeah. small forward um, who can play also shooting guard, um, where he'd be really playing big, and um, and Bruce Brown is actually undersized at his position, and there's the second reason, which was um, his fit in you know on the Timberwolves right now. He was getting his minutes even before Teague and Wiggins went out, um, right. developing Culver's yeah. NBA skill set is a high priority definitely for the part of and it their may only be as part of a you know to try to give him a look to trade him for d'angelo russell in about a month um he you know he yeah i think if you're the warriors he's one of the players you'd be looking at do you sure yeah no <laughs> i mean the warriors are trying to win a championship next year or and the the next two years after that basically gorgie jang is a part as... of the salary that people bring up is someone that they'd want to bring back with okogi he's ready to play i mean i think they i think they want covington i think they'd they probably take okogi um they they want guys who can defend guys who can shoot the three Covington is like the quintessential. If you want to win a championship and you've got the offensive pieces already to do it, three and D wing guy who can play up to the four and rebound well, he's perfect. So they definitely want Covington, um, and I would assume Akogi is someone who you're hoping so you can grow into that. They would prefer future picks to young talent. I think they would prefer right now to young talent. Yeah, I think they would prefer right now. Yeah, Ta- complementary talent to their core, cha- their championship core right now, as opposed to future picks. Well, f- of course. I mean, they're not going to trade D'Angelo Russell for Jarrett Culver. I'm not. Yeah, no, yeah, no, nobody's no. saying that. Right. 
I mean, sure. Like, Covington I don't, I don't think they're going to turn down. They're not the, going to turn down Culver as a part of a larger package that includes. Yeah, like, I don't think they're doing the deal if Covington's not in it. it right. I guess is what I'm saying. What if Wiggins, show yeah. it showing the way he has been, becomes some a, a piece that they want? Yeah, I mean that's the question. His salary is so high, though, it might be a problem for them given how much they're paying right. everyone else. But I mean, that's the thought, right? If you're if you're um if you're the Timberwolves, if Wiggins shows enough that maybe someone wants to take him off your hands, um, and you can sort of build around Culver and others. Jalen, uh, you're holding Wiggins right now. If you were the Warriors, real NBA, do you bring him on? I would be reluctant to do so because I don't think scoring is an issue, especially scoring from the perimeter. True. Um, and that's Wiggins' best skill set. Even when he was generally vaguely inefficient, he was still he scored he scored 23 points a couple of years ago. He scored 18. Like he walked in the league able to score, but I don't think they need scoring um, so much. I mean, they need they need a wing like. If you want to win a championship, you want LeBron, Kawhi, PG, KD on your team, but Andrew Wiggins isn't that. And I think for them, uh, if they don't find that wing, then their hope is that, you know, the three guards they already have on the team, if they keep Russell, Russell, Curry, uh, and Clay Thompson will provide enough in the way of scoring, and then they can fill out, fill out the roster with defensive minded, spot up shooting wings and defensive minded, switchable bigs. So I think. Right. Yeah, I think I would be hesitant, and Wiggins would have to show a lot, not only in on the offensive end, but on defense as well. Right. Um, Kyle, let's go back and hit that last player comparison. Um, so you dropped Robert Williams and picked up Tice, and I want to hear about it. I dropped Robert Williams a while ago. Uh, I already have a much better version of Robert Williams. And Mitchell and his, Robinson. His name is Mitchell Robinson, right? Um, and, and and so I didn't necessarily like. I could have kept him. I like his potential. I like the stat lines he can put up, even in just 15 minutes. I think he's a quality end of the bench guy for anybody in our league and worth keeping for keeper value. I don't think you should drop him. I didn't think I was going to have room for him or needed the stats. He was giving me. I already have tons of blocks. Um, I did like him because he gets a little more steel than most centers, so he was nice for that. Um, I think Robert Williams is going to develop into a very good player. I picked up Tice um, about two weeks after I dropped Williams and part of my huge big man rotation that I'm keeping going. Um, I picked up Tice because every sports writer out there is saying Tice is the guy. So I picked up Tice. I like his game. He's the best two-way out of any of their centers, Cantor being the third. So I like Tice for that. My, my hesitation about Tice is, well, uh, twofold, I guess, that there are two other centers eating minutes on that team. And then the other piece is that he's 28. Oh, or yeah. almost 28, something like that. He's he's oh, he's he's late 20s already. He'll have a few years in terms of our league and keeper value. Um, not a ton of upside there, but in terms of my build right now, having a big who gets shoots a good free throw percentage and does some other um, defensive stats is perfect for my fit. That's interesting because Tice and Robert Williams were both available when – I had the choice. Yeah. And I, even knowing, even seeing that the Celtics were giving more minutes to Tice, 
thought from just the eye test and from sure. just the bounce and from oh it's it, incredible it, Williams Williams is just fun to that pass in the way traffic. that. He, from the he, yeah, you know, so he's standing at the top of the key and does the pass. I don't even know who it was going to, but he basically threads it through three defenders, and it just looked beautiful. And, yeah, and there's a lot of writing about his incre- his improved passing game, and um, I I do I see him maybe not being worth the zero dollars I paid for him this year, which is to say holding a roster spot. Um, Williams. But, yeah, I'm I'm joking a little, but he's but he's like, holding a he's holding a roster spot right now. That he's the 140th, 120th. Have you seen rated? his last three or so games no, since Cantor's been back? He's been They're slipped a, a lot. Yeah, okay. Because he's, he's three times higher rated than Jarrett Culver right now. I'll yeah, give or take. <laughs> he's been dropping pretty okay. precipitously, and he's been only around ten minutes per game. Ah, but. I think that his value next year and two years from now could be so great that I don't want to get into one of these regret situations well, like I have we been should with some other back players. to your regret from last season, which was dropping Mitchell Robinson, oh, who yeah. I immediately picked up. That was another one where I had injuries early in the season and had to make some tough choices, and he wasn't even playing yet. Yeah. And uh, he actually – you dropped him after – I think someone else picked him he up. He was picked up and dropped multiple yeah. times before he finally caught on. I think it was the second time I picked him up, he finally caught. And that's the way it goes. And, and it's, <laughs> it we're, we're such a competitive league now that I don't know if I can afford to let a player go through the, the, you know, that, that waiver wire game. Well, right. The reason Williams and Tice were still available and some other players like that is we were three weeks into the season, say, when that was happening or when I dropped Williams. And we've reached a point where there are enough injuries and enough players who haven't performed well who have been dropped that all of those speculative guys like Williams have been picked up, basically. There aren't many left at this point. Jackson Hayes, but maybe did you just pick him up I earlier today? Up yeah, today? So Jackson Hayes is gone too. I had like, to end the Hamadou Diallo <laughs> experiment so before it even there started. There are very few guys left over, but right, if you were to drop him at this point, I think he's gone forever. And, and somebody else grabs him and probably keepers him for next year. Yeah, you should definitely drop him. Yeah, I think you should drop him too if you <laughs> want to compete this year, Kyle. So that would be the recommendation for your two friends sitting across from you right now. I think this you really, should listen to us. This really is the consideration, though, because you know <laughs> you're joking in a way because obviously you'd you'd love to have great players get on the wire who could become keepers. Yeah, it's fun. But there, there's a real cost benefit. Analysis to go on here because I can get more production for a couple players on my team right now by going on the wire. And I may have to end the Jarrett Culver experiment um, when, for instance, De'Aaron Fox comes back and I have to take him off the IL or when Kevon Looney or especially when both of them do. Right. Um, But for right now, I have a bunch of players I'm kind of holding and see how some things shake out. Holding and hoping. Yeah, and I mean, I think what I would say also, even our league, which is we've got 14 teams, um, it's a 14-team league, and although I think the best values on the wire are gone, like Kendrick Nunn is gone. Um, I you took up- him day one. <laughs> day one! <laughs> yeah. That's pretty Nobody gone. else had a chance. We didn't even know. Nope. Nope. Um, I snatched up Aiton really quickly. I snatched up Simons, I think, on Michael's recommendation. 
Um, so although a lot of the value is gone, I'm I'm gonna regret saying this and giving this away. But Rondé Hollis Jefferson is coming into his own in Toronto. If you need um, rebounds uh, and some points, you know and he's some steals, he's, and some blocks. He does yeah, a little bit of it all. He's grabbing those offensive rebounds, getting putbacks. And I'm punting rebounds this year, so it doesn't really make that much sense for me. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that given the fact, given that all all of our teams are structured in different ways a lot of time, you know, maybe there's three people who are punting field goal percentage and turnovers, but um, there probably aren't that many people punting rebounds like me. So um, given the different builds of the teams in the league, you can still find value uh, on the wire with guys who have different skill sets. And that's like one of the cool things about uh, a categories league. Absolutely. So this, the, our fantasy discussion has sort of um, vaguely transitioned us to the East. So I'm going to call out the transition explicitly. We're in the East. Uh, a couple of quick hits here. Um, first, Markel Fultz is starting for the Orlando Magic, who are wearing some new city uniforms called Juice. Go look them up. That's all I'll say right now. I'll bring it back next time. But the key is the Orlando Magic look a little better. I'm just going to say a little better on offense with Markel Fultz at the point rather than DJ Augustine. What do you guys think? Is is it going to progress or are the Orlando Magic just in some trouble we didn't see coming this season? I don't even know if it's like that. I mean, Fultz is better or more impactful um, as far as the full scale, the whole game, you know, steals, blocks. Um, defense, all those sorts of things than Dion, than um, DJ, uh, than DJ Augustine. But I don't even know if he's like better uh, or playing better necessarily. But I think one, what that did was it got too too many non shooters. There were too many non shooters on the bench. Markel Fultz being one of them, and moving in, moving him into the starting lineup where there were more better shooters around him makes it makes it easier for him and makes it easier for the offense. Moving DJ Augustine, who is a good shooter, to the to the bench helps helps the second unit so I think yeah there was just sort of a balancing act that needed to happen in their lineup that um Steve Clifford pulled off with that move yeah. and then obviously long term if you have Markel Fultz you know you're feeling good I don't know who has him in our league I forget but um yeah it seems like he's being able to impact the game even when he's not shooting a three you know I don't know if he'll ever be a 40 percent three-point shooter or even a 35 percent three-point shooter but He's still having an impact on the game. And I got to say, Markel Fultz one-legged running tomahawk jam, that needs to be (laughs) like the new NBA logo or something. I mean, it's so pretty. It's it's iconic. I mean, it's like I see it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Markel Fultz. That's what he does. Like he's been doing this since high school. He did it at Washington. It looks it's it looks like extremely athletic and also like awkward at the same time it's it's quintessential markel fultz i think you need to be tweeting that at silver or somebody <laughs> so you the 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 shot tower podcast twitter feed needs to be talking about that yeah follow the us on logo. twitter the new logo you just you, you like jalen just thought of it i love it <laughs> we do like how long are we gonna stick i, I think with someone else the logo also, as the logo i think it's already out there on the internet Is honestly right. yeah He's going to get every opportunity that, you know, the Magic can give him because DJ Augustine is just not the answer. Yeah. And if they're going to work, it's going to be with Fultz or it's going to be with somebody else. It's not with DJ Augustine. And I like DJ Augustine, and he'll you know, hopefully be there as a capable backup yeah. for 
however you know long his contract is absolutely um, yeah uh, the magic um th- you know they finished the last season so well it's it's hard to watch their really slow awkward start this year and i'm just hopeful Fultz and the team come together and start playing some better basketball as Jonathan Isaac rises to be the MVP in two years. <laughs> yeah, Isaac's Isaac's balling, especially on defense this year. Yeah. These juice jerseys are crazy. Right? Um, it's the <laughs> orange one, right? So, yeah, well, well – um, the, this is the, this is great podcast content. No there's a there's there's an orange. Do you mean the orange lettering and and so or do they have straight up orange? So jer- they mean, have multiple even, new jerseys. Yeah, there's a solid orange one. Yeah. Um. There's a striped orange one, and then there's a black one, a solid black with like orange lettering. Yeah. So one of the interesting things here is when the magic. So I'm just gonna do this now. When the magic came into the league, um, their colors were just the blue, black, and white, and that was it. And um, one of the names they even considered as uh, in, instead of the magic was the Heat one, which they discounted because that gave people ill feelings about <laughs> the team, apparently. One of the other names was uh, the Juice, which got discounted because the orange industry was leaving Florida in the mm. mid-'80s, and so people were down on it. So I find it fascinating that, that they finally come around to putting some color, some more color in their uniforms. And so – um, the, the city jersey they just played in a couple days ago is the anthra- anthracite gray one. It's sort of a bluish gray color, and it had orange lettering, numbering, and trim, and that's the juice part of it. There's another juice jersey that uh, Jalen was mentioning that's all orange, but it's the first time they've even brought this color in. And it's sort of a reinvigorated franchise in a way, at least on the face of it. I hope the team comes too. Yeah, I want the full juice jerseys. They remind me of the University of Miami jerseys. They oh, yeah, remind right. me of the Orange Bowl. Yeah. These are tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll be talking about more jerseys, shoes, and courts as the podcast progresses because I like to. So, um, But uh, we have another little quick hit in the East that I wanted to mention. Oh, do you have something on I was just going to yeah. mention one thing about the Magic, which is that they are still in the East, and for that reason, they're Already in the playoff picture, even as <laughs> they're in ba- the mix, even as Playing bad poorly. as they've been, yeah, they're they're already I think in seventh. Um, so I just don't think that they we have anything. All the teams behind them legitimately seem worse, and I <laughs> they seem, seem like bad to weak. And I seem yeah. <laughs> smarter and smarter in my prediction that the Nets won't make the playoffs. Um, they may still not make the playoffs. They're currently out of the playoffs. <laughs> You're really I, holding on to I, that. <laughs> I, 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 I hope you bring it up every podcast, and I yeah. can't wait to the point till you're wrong because I just like I can't <laughs> believe it. If Kyrie Irving is out all season, okay, maybe. But no, it's just no. I think it'll be funny if I am. I think it'll be funny if you are too, and I will freely call it out. At length. I think it'd be good for the pod if I missed. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, one other fun story out of the East. Michael is wearing his Nets hat right now. I have my Nets hat on. I have my Nets shoes on. I have so. Um, but one of the other fun stories out of the East that's gone a bit under the radar, and I want to mention so that all of you can look it up on YouTube. Um, there is a show called The Masked Singer in which celebrities dress up 
to hide their identity and sing for a panel of judges. There has been suggestion with lots of interesting detailed support that Victor Oladipo is singing um, as thingamajig on The Masked Singer. So he hasn't confirmed it, um, but he perf- we assume it's him and he performed Easy by the Commodores, and I thought it was pretty great. Our friend of the pod, Chris Shannon, who we mentioned, who uh, is a former opera singer, didn't think he was as great as I did, <laughs> even though he's a Pacers fan, and I chastise him for not loving everything about Victor Oladipo. But um, still worth a look, still a fun story. Victor Oladipo isn't playing in the NBA right now, but... He is playing on the Mass Singer, and he is playing full court in practices with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. So I uh, wanted to throw that out there. Um, one other thing we're going to talk about, we've already mentioned him a couple times on the pod, Kendrick Nunn. Uh, Jalen, uh, we were talking about the statistics and some of his percentages. Yeah, so I mean, I had a little anecdote. So I was listening to various other podcasts. I was listening to the Hoop Collective on ESPN. That's Brian Windhorse and... A rotating cast of guests um, and this time I think it was Arnovitz and Kevin Pelton who were on there with him um, and they were talking about you know early season surprises and disappointments as we like to call them on this pod and uh, they were talking about who's going to regress to the mean who's potentially going to fall back from their current position in the league and one of the teams that they mentioned were the Heat which is a perfectly fine and normal and rational take uh, but one of the reasons that they listed for for the Heat's eventual regression was that Kendrick Nunn is shooting uh, really well from three this year. And it was cited um, that he only shot 33% from three in the G League last season. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I found that curious because it sort of speaks to how we all in this uh, basketball intelligentsia use stats. Um, so uh, you can either use a stat to, like, build a player up or tear them down, right? So Kendrick Nunn shot 33% from three in the G League last year, but he also shot 38% in his first year in college, 36% in his second year, 39% in his third year, and 39.4% in his fourth year. So um, if we are going to use the entire um, subset of of data that we have, the entire uh, picture uh, that we have on Kendrick Nunn's shooting, it suggests that he's a good shooter. And although he may not shoot 38%, it suggests that he's going to shoot better than 33%. If anything, a short season in the G League when he was coming off the bench, uh, which was a tactic the team was using to hide his talent, I don't think it should be representative of his actual shooting ability. Um, and to go along with all of that, he shot 80% in year one in college from the free throw line, 81.7 year two, 79 in year three, and 83.8 um, in his final year. And he's shooting 80% uh, from the free throw line this year. So what I'm saying is that if we take a look at the whole picture, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that Kendrick Nunn is a good shooter. Um, and so, yeah, there there's enough evidence to, to go along with that. And we just have to remember that when we're using statistics that there's a fuller picture out there, and sometimes we have to dig to find it, um, or we just have to like be just accept that people are using statistics to um, improve the arguments that they have based on bias or hunch or things that are not statistics. And that's something that we all do, but it's good to be aware of it. There's right. also the part about our stats are much better at 
handling past data than they are at being predictive. Mm-hmm. Um, players change for different reasons, and they change in different contexts. And who's to say how good Kendrick Nunn could be this year from the three-point line? Um, he could very well regress to, you know, the 33 or 35 or something closer to what they think, or the Heat could actually just present a situation and he could have development and all kinds of factors that aren't captured in the prior numbers could come to weigh on future numbers. And then um, they'll retroactively go and, of course, be able to see it as part of the arc of his development. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think your point is, is well put, Jalen. That 33% in the G League seemed to be a bit of a cherry-picked stat um, when when we look at the fuller data set from college and what he's done this year, and what about like, just the simple fact that he got some practice in over the summer? I assume working mm-hmm. with professional coaches and you, yeah. you know, like there has to be room for improvement. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is something that I've always struggled with and like kind of rubbed me the wrong way as an outsider to the to you know sports writing, sports analysis. Is this just like a player is what he is, and how quickly we want to jump to that position in player analysis? As someone who's a former athlete, you know, you're constantly working on your game. You're constantly trying to improve. Um, you're constantly getting stronger or dealing with injuries and all these sorts of things. And so, um, you know, the tendency to just sort of cap a player's abilities at a certain point, you know, a year in or less than a year or two years into their career um, just kind of always rubbed me the wrong way. And in this case, I mean, I agree with everything both of you just said, but it's also like, uh, as you said, um, statistical evidence is uh, the best the best uh, predictor of future performance is past performance. And if you look at the full past performance, it's good and, <laughs> it's and it predicts good. good things. So it's like it's not even like we're breaking some rule of analytic analysis here. We're right. just like we just didn't ignore all the data. Yeah. <laughs> it would be interesting to go back and see how people wrote about Victor Oladipo when he was on the Magic. Um, and probably in Oklahoma City too, because I suspect that there was a lot more belief that he was sort of the player that he was, that we already knew who he was, and that all the comparisons to, I remember Dwayne Wade being a big comparison when he was coming into the draft, all the comparisons to Dwayne Wade were overblown, and that he was going to be um, you know, a, a sort of middling and maybe, you know, maybe a bench scorer. Um, and then, of course, he breaks out in Indiana, and the picture changes. Um, mm. it, it might be a, a good case study to go back and see how people mobilize stats beforehand and after, um, sort of knowing now what he, you know, knowing that, for instance, his days at Indiana weren't an aberration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I look forward to your segment on that next week, Kyle. So I don't um, think I'm the person for it. it okay. It's your idea. <laughs> you got to take it. Um, all right. Um, oh, let's move on to talk about one of Kyle's favorite teams, the Philadelphia 76ers. They started the season great. Um, there are some shooting problems now from three. Harris has been bad. Richardson's been not so great. Um, problems with Thibel, who's looked uh, amazing in flashes. Kyle, anything you'd like to say about the Sixers? They've disappointed more or less. Um, but 
they have the same record as the Clippers, roughly. They're one win shy of the Clippers with the same number of losses. They they each have five right now at the time of recording. Um, and that, to me, is disappointing after they're, you know, coming out of the gates as the, the front runner um, in the East for the first week or so, week or two. Um, and, you know, we didn't record last week, and so the – it's it's a little um, it's fuzzier in my memory now, but the loss in Denver um, stuck in my craw a bit. Um, it was uh, I I thought they they got some pretty those bad late calls. foul calls. I, th- I thought that that Embiid's last two foul calls were pretty weak, and um, I thought that the Jokic play at the end was a flop. Um, I'm sure uh, Denver. Twitter, um, Nuggets Twitter. Um, didn't is, didn't, is didn't the two to, minute report agree with you? I think it did. Did it? I didn't look. Um, I'm pretty sure it did. Um, that's great because it really did look like it. He yeah. he looked to just he he fell over before the whistle was blown, um, basically signaling what he was going to do. And then when the ball actually did come in bounds, he then fell over again. And it's you know the refs had a chance to see his tactic and they still fell for it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, one other team in the East, uh, Kyle, you had mentioned the Bucks earlier. I can't remember what you were going to say about the Bucks, so I can't set you up at all. Um, was there something you wanted to say about the Bucks? They're winning. Yeah. That's it. They're back to where we thought that they would be. They're winning. Giannis is great. And there are some other pieces Middleton showing went up. down, which is a it tough hurts. loss. Middleton was part of a trade in our fantasy league earlier this season. It was, um, it was. It's going to sound crazy to people, but it made sense for both teams. It was Middleton was traded for Derek Favors, um, which doesn't make sense for both teams if Derek Favors is injured. But in the build, I for, disagree. I don't think it. I don't think Derek Favors has the ceiling to make it worth it for him. Like. What happens, if Jackson Hay- what happens if Jackson Hayes comes along? What happens if Zion comes back? He was already dealing with injuries in the preseason. I mean, I just feel like maybe it was worth it, but there was a lot of risk baked into the trade on the Derek Favors side. Definitely. If Derek Favors played even marginally like he did last year, it would have been worth it in that build because I I had Chris Middleton in a similar build last year, if not the same build. We may have been punting the same categories. And he dropped all the way down to a ninth-round player. And um, Derek Favors in that build would be a fourth-rounder. There was a lot of hope for Favors at the five, too. Like, this was going to be an up year for him playing on that Pelicans roster, and it just hasn't happened. And when Aiton went out, he needed an extra center. It was just very simply he needed to trade and get a center, and that was who he could get. And his disposable piece – um, was Middleton, and he, maybe he could have waited longer and tried to get a better piece. Um, yeah, but it was going to. be I would tough. have traded him Baines. Centers after Baines are got hot. centers are hot commodities. <laughs> <laughs> Baines could be worth everything soon. I mean, he's he's been playing incredibly. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, last couple last things yeah. on the Bucks though, because when when Middleton goes down, um, Divincenzo has has stepped in and played. Pretty well, um, and I know that Sterling Brown is getting some minutes as well. Jalen, you picked up DiVincenzo. Maybe you want to say something about his his uh, 
surgence. Um, if it's not a resurgence, would you just call it a surgence? <laughs> it was supposed to happen last year and didn't. It looks like it's happening this year. I mean, he just looks like a player, you know. Um, he, he's athletic. Um, he was good in college. And, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about any of this when I was picking him up, honestly. I haven't watched the Bucks very much this year, oddly. Uh, but I was just kind of like, um, I need – first of all, I picked him up partly because they have a bunch of games this week. Um, so I was like, the extra games will do me good. Um, he's more of a scorer than an assister. Uh, so that, like, gave me a little bit of pause because I like to fill out my bench with the guys who are not only going to give you points but assists because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you just blew your competition out the water in points and lost every other category. So um, that was sort of my thinking. But, yeah, I think that based on his college numbers, based on his, um, you know, rookie year uh, moments of – of prowess and brightness and athleticism and all these sorts of things that I figured that with extra playing time, he might be able to take hold of the position um, and do some good things. And I mean, maybe we can have a conversation. I, I feel like I've been thinking about this, not only for the podcast, but uh, for a piece I want to write about, like what should be your attitude toward the waiver wire? Because I think your attitude toward the waiver wire affects how, effective you can be using it because if you if you have a solid team you're going to be more reluctant to drop the pieces that you you drafted or that are already on your team whereas if you feel that you drafted poorly maybe you lose in week one or you lose in week two you can kind of adopt the attitude that all right my team's not very good the waiver wire is my best chance to acquire talent unless I trade. And oftentimes in, in a trade, you're going to give up just as much as you're getting, if not more, uh, because you're not going to be trading from a position of strength because you didn't draft well. So you can kind of go into Sam Hinky mode and just say, I'm going to win every single little tiny um, pickup here on the waiver wire, and I'm going to game the system in this way. Um, and I'm not going to be have some sort of like um, emotional attachment to the players on my team. I'm going to see them as the numbers that they produce. And I'm going to be willing to drop and pick guys up at a whim. And I'm also going to be willing to wait longer um, for people who aren't maybe producing right away. Because that's something that I see oftentimes uh, as someone who doesn't draft well historically and does make use of the waiver wire pretty often. People will drop a guy after one or two bad games. And then a week later they're a full-time starter or they're worth it. They're in the top 100 or top 150 in value. And it's like, your team's doing pretty good. Did, did, did you really need to drop the guy after two bad games? I think you can deal with it. So yeah, I don't know what your thoughts or attitudes about it are. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I think your point is well taken. When you have a really solid team, you're not going to be on the wire as much. Maybe you stream a position or maybe two Maybe you're, you know, picking up somebody for the odd injured player or something like that. The most fun I ever had in Scorekeeper was when I inherited an absolutely terrible team and had no idea what I was doing in the draft and then proceeded to just pick up and drop as many players as I could every week just trying to make that incremental improvement. And it was a lot of fun. Last year I had a better team. I still made lots of moves, but not nearly as many, and it wasn't quite as fun. Mm -hmm. Some of the people are dropping players that quickly 
Because they're streaming them. It sometimes has nothing to do with the two bad games beforehand. Sometimes they'll drop them after a good game, and it has to do with another player who they're picking up having two games in a row, say, you know, you drop someone after their game on Thursday, and you get somebody who's going to play both Friday and Saturday, and then you drop them too and pick up somebody for Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it depends on how you're treating your slots, right? I mean, some people will just devote. We have players managers in our league who are devoting a slot to streaming each week. Chris does that every season. He just is he he believes in um, the value of using all five roster moves um, each week. Um, and he does. And sometimes getting seven games instead of three or four. Sometimes he'll do it w- at the very beginning of the week on Monday, make five pickups and drop five players to just get players who are going to say have four games that it's week. all about games yeah. and I take a different tack with it um, I I want to use my bench for development and I think that my core players are going to put me into a zone where I can be competitive in most matchups um, and, and then there are a lot of people in between um, I, I probably make fewer moves than most teams although this year I've got a lot more turnover than usual because injuries. Uh, Injuries and yeah, and the bench just wasn't as good, and so I didn't feel as much of a t- an attachment to players. Um, yeah, so that's a good article. We'll look to see that one up on Rasball soon. Yeah, coming soon. Um, um, I, I think I, in maybe in closing here, we should mention two updates because go uh, ahead. yeah, Jalen and I each picked up a player today to put into our matchup against each other. Um, and Jalen picked up Carmelo Anthony, um, and Carmelo is right now. He's got seven points. One three-pointer, seven points, four rebounds, a block, and five turnovers on three of ten shooting. Oof, those turnovers. Well, turnovers don't hit me. Yeah, yeah I'm, punting, a little, I'm punting turnovers <laughs> and field goal percentage anyway, so. It's a little rough, though, I like that he's block. playing against somebody who, who does also rack up turnovers. But I like that block. Like, what? I don't know. It's a good yeah. indicator. If you There's like blocks, effort. you're going to like this next line, which is Jackson uh, Hayes. I picked three up, blocks already. I'm I predicting picked, it. I p- picked up Jackson Hayes. He had his three of eight from the field with nine points, seven rebounds, two steals, and three blocks, zero turnovers. The steals are what's bad for our matchup for me because I have no chance of winning rebounds or blocks against Kyle. So it's the steals are the really the category that could – allow me to win if I win steals. You're the only person who can beat me in assists too. It's a it's an odd matchup this week. It's tight it's tight for that one too. I, I dropped um Alec Burks to pick up Carmelo and I was kinda worried about losing those assists. And I'm just kinda hoping that DiVincenzo uh and his bunch of games and then if Trey Young has a uh, some good games this week and Russ helped me out. I think he had ten assists last night. So yeah, I think I think assists and steals will be close between us this week. And as a closing thought on Mello, five turnovers hurts, but it could be a signal that he really is trying to open up a passing game, and it could be and like, they're running a lot of offense through him, and it's, <laughs> and it's his first game back. Yeah, and you know he probably does need to. You know he's been out for a year now, basically. Um, he probably needs to get back up to speed um, with the game and. I think you know, like our, um, like our what? What's the the royal 
the no, royal jelly. Royal jelly, yeah. So he needs some royal jelly, and it <laughs> looks like the Blazers are giving it to him right Who now. Who doesn't yeah. need so, royal jelly? We all need royal jelly. Exactly. So you'll have to come back next week to find out how this matchup and these pickups uh, turn out between Jalen's Fat Mamba and Kyle's Sigma. Could go anyway at this point. Uh, it's hard to say. And I think that's a wrap for this week. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. <laughs>